Welcome, welcome. You're listening to the Dr. Me First podcast with me, Dr. Erin Wiseman. This is episode number four, and this podcast is all about female physicians coming together to have authentic conversations, get encouragement, and leave refreshed to take on our world. No more feeling alone in medicine, Mm -mm, baby, not here, because in this place, you will find support, encouragement, and hope. I'm your colleague in medicine and coach in life, Dr. Erin Wiseman. In this episode, I am talking with Dr. Allie Nowalski. She is an amazing physician who is a neonatologist as well as a physician life coach. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Another one of us. I love it out there. I think everybody needs a life coach, and I'm so glad to find other physician colleagues who are doing this type of work for one another. So the word that she chose is transformation, and I cannot wait to share this conversation with you all. Hey, everybody. It's Dr. Wiseman again coming at you. I have a very special guest that I am going to let her introduce herself and tell us all about what she is doing in the world of medicine. So Dr. Allie, go ahead. Well, thank you so much, first of all, for having me. This is amazing. Um, my name is Ali Nowitzki, and I am a trained neonatologist. Um, and a couple years ago, I got this wonderful job with this amazing company, Optum Health. And I'm part of a neonatal resource team, and I work with other neonatologists. And we basically we do we do a lot, but we work with different healthcare plans. Um, and so I've really kind of expanded my practice to even more of a business side of medicine. And then in the interim, I um, became very interested in uh, life coaching because I found a school that really focused on cognitive coaching. And what cognitive coaching is, um, it stemmed from cognitive behavioral therapy. And my husband is a psychiatrist, and I have done cognitive behavioral therapy work myself, and I really believe in it. So I'm very passionate about it because I think that it can help you just really live your best life. Um, and I mean, I really am always looking for change and good change and transformation, if you will. And so currently, um, I am doing some life coaching when I'm not working my full-time job. And I coach on everything from jobs to weight loss to relationships. Um, but with my husband, we are really excited because we just launched our podcast, which is called Resuscitate Your Marriage and our and Rx for physicians. So essentially what we do is it's a man and woman's perspective on marriage. Um, however, you know, we speak to all different marriages. So it does, you don't just have to be married to a man or, you know, it can be all different marriages and relationships. And so we just started and we're having a lot of fun with it um, and really excited to see where it's going to go. So that is absolutely amazing. I love everything that you're doing. And I just have to tell our audience today, if you hear like knocking and random man voices in the background, it is my home. We're doing home improvements right now. And um, so if you hear that, just giggle a little bit because I've got contractors and electricians and everything uh, working on stuff. So anyway, besides that, so you know, with each podcast, I try to have my guests pick a word and we will talk about that. And today our word is transformation. Dr. Ali, tell us why transformation was your word. So transformation is my word because I really believe that we are transforming all the time. 
And I think that it's very easy to kind of get caught up in the day-to-day routine. And sometimes that's wonderful, but then sometimes you feel a little boring. You might feel a little restless. I know as physicians, I think we can relate that we always kind of feel like we need to be moving, need to be doing something because it's part of how we were trained. Um, And so transformation to me basically is a hope that you can be as happy as you've ever been today. You can be whoever you want to be. You can actually live whatever life you want to live. So you have that power. And kind of the more I learned about the coaching that I'm doing with the cognitive coaching, our thoughts control everything. So our thoughts have the ability to kind of transform our life. Um, So I just think it's very powerful. And I'm excited because I think that we really no matter what circumstance we're dealing with, we really have the ability to create what we want. So I think we can transform into anything or anyone that we want to be. And I think that is so hopeful because in today's healthcare world, at times there feels like there's no control and there feels like there's no way to morph um, the practice that you're in into something different. Like you're stuck and you're trapped in it. And I hear so many people Um, when I do coaching as well, that they just say like, I'm just stuck or I hear the words I'm hopeless. And I think focusing on, I loved what you said about, you know, that transformation to you is the hope that you can be as happy as possible. Oh my gosh, of course. But somewhere along the lines, don't you think that it almost gets beat out of us through medical training and, and just the process of the day to day? Absolutely. So it's really funny you bring that up because I've actually been really reflecting on exactly what you just said a lot lately. And so I really, for myself anyway, and I don't know if you can relate to this, but um, in medicine, you know, we are so busy and we have so much expectation, even at an early, early in training to just be kind of everything for everybody to really take care of really intense situations that can be really emotional. The issue that I found, and I took me a while to figure this out is, um, and it's funny because actually the blog I just wrote this weekend has everything to do with this. We don't allow ourselves to actually process the emotion. Mm, Absolutely. We, We never really say it's okay to feel sadness or hurt because we have to be strong for our patient. We have to show up with our game face so that we can take care of them. And so a lot of times we don't give ourselves the time to process our own emotion. And so I think a lot of times what you just said, just about kind of like being in the day to day, it's, I I think that that does contribute to burnout a little bit because when you're more aware of your emotions, you can really just learn to sit with them and just really be able to process them and not be afraid of them. And once you're not afraid of your emotions, the power is all of yours to do whatever you want to do with it. Oh my God. Absolutely. I, I think this is so huge. I'm so glad to hear you say this because that is one of the huge things I do whenever I come across um, anybody who comes to me for burnout, because The first thing that I always talk with people about, and I want this audience to know, is that as physicians, we are armored up. So I'll be honest, I will admit, I am a big Game of Thrones fan. 
with all the boobs and all the sex and everything else on it, I am a huge fan. And it's just something about like knights and dragons. But what I'm getting at is when I say armored up, I think about those knights that are going out. They're getting ready to like this really hard, gritty battle. And, you know, at times as physicians, that is what we're doing. Hell, yesterday during my shift, I had to tell a woman that she came in for confusion and slurred speech that she had a brain tumor. And then I had to pick up and go to the next room and take care of my next patient. And you better believe that there there is. We are strong. We are resilient. And that's the first thing I talk about um, when I'm doing my burnout coaching is that there has to be a safe place that you strip down that armor. And I think where that comes from is from these conversations with colleagues, because first of all, we're not going to take our armor off unless it's a trusting relationship and there is mutual respect. And I think finding that is so powerful. That's why I'm such a big advocate for colleague to colleague calls or groups um, where we get together with other like-minded physicians or colleagues that we can say, I had a really hard encounter. I just really need to talk through this. And I think the other thing too that we're terrible at, and I mean, I'm going to blame our training about it because it was never brought up when I was training in family medicine is naming emotions. We do a terrible job at saying, I am sad or I am terrified in this situation or I am really hopeless because one of my patients just lost her baby. And I feel like it's time in our generation to say we can no longer be stoic because we are human too. And by being the best healers that we can be, we have also got to allow ourselves to feel that, to muddle around in all those emotions. And, and in that, I think there's a lot of healing for ourselves to be able to say, I just told a woman that she has brain cancer and that it, it almost hurt me that I was so flat with it. You know, that I, that yes, I was empathetic and, and we talked through the details and we got her set up, but I was almost disappointed in myself yesterday because I didn't feel any emotion. I, um, like you gave me chills because you, no, I, I'm not even kidding. You could have literally written what I just wrote and you made me think of two things. Like, I'm not even kidding you. So what you just said, so you running to room to room and you're not able to really process that emotion. You have to be stoic. You have to be there. So I had just written, like I call it ice water in your veins because when I first started neonatology, I would show up to a potentially complicated delivery and I would just start, I start shivering. Like I would get freezing cold. Right. I, I didn't know what it was, but I knew it worked for me. I knew that when I felt that way, I was going to perform. And now I'm like, that was adrenaline. Like that was my adrenaline, right? So to the point that, um, you know, you, you never say to a colleague, hey, like that was a really tough situation. Were you like really scared? Like you would never, I mean, we would never have that conversation. No, we wouldn't. In training, especially because then it would be like, what do you mean, Dr. Wiseman? You right. know? Right. And you made me think of something else when you said you felt bad that you didn't feel the emotion because so many times when people ask me, well, what do you do? And I say, well, I'm a neonatologist. I'm a neonatologist. And they say, well, what's that? And I say, well, it's a, it's a doctor that 
takes care of sick babies in the intensive care nursery. And they say, oh my gosh, how do you, that must be so hard. How do you do it? How do you handle it? And I have the same feeling that you have. I feel bad that my emotion feels flat because that's what our emotion is flat because that's how we do our job. It is. It so is. A safe space, like what you said, having a safe space to have that conversation and to feel those feelings is what I would also agree would be an amazing thing to bring back to this generation. of right? And don't you feel like maybe with coaching, maybe we're going to get there? I know, like, I know that we're a small group that we both perform as physician and life coach, but I, I do, I feel like when I um, coach other physicians, like, not that it's not special when I coach other professional moms, but when it is colleague to colleague and you know that you are right there with them, you can stare them in the eye and, you know, you get something really profound. Um, Oh, it's, it's just amazing. And then, and then I know that with my people, then they go out into their jobs the next day and they're like, it was like the worst situation, but it was the best day that I have had just because they were unable to unpack some of that baggage. One question I always ask people and I would have our, our audience think about it. What are those patient stories that even after years you still think about? I know I have them. Absolutely. I, I can think all the way back to a fourth year medical student story that I had with a patient. I don't even know that I've really ever shared it, but that woman, she still is a part of my own story. And she, she still comes into play with that. And I almost think of it as an honoring of her when I can release that into the world and release that with other physicians and being like, it, and I, I'll tell you here. It was my critical care rotation for my fourth year. Um, I had already matched. I already knew I was going into family medicine. But I, I, in my own mind, I thought if I could hack it in critical care, then that would prove that I was a badass. So I was doing this month of critical care and taking care of this lady. And um, she had end-stage COPD. She had a bunch of, like, pulmonary fibrosis. Like, she was going to be vent-bound. And um, her family came to the decision. I think she had an um, embolic event. I can't remember all of it. So she was also um, had a stroke. They came to the decision that they were going to withdraw um, the vent support. And I remember being a part of that with my attending and, and it, it wasn't the physical act of like removing the intubation or anything like that. I sat with that family for four hours and, and it was the most awkward, beautiful, crazy situation as a student. And I know that it was impactful to me. I know it was impactful for that nurse that I was working with, that sh that she knew that I was there most of her shift just with that family. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those that um, she didn't even pass. I mean, I had to go home because I had to be back there at like 5 a.m. But it was just one of those that I just continue to think about, like that I sat with that woman in her final hours. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I... And then when you, that has stuck with you. So it just, it just shows you that, you know, you have, you had a ton of emotion for that and you still carry that with you and you were able to process it in a way that really helped you in your career. Um, we, it's funny, but, but one of the stories I have is I was 20 weeks pregnant, I think with my second and, um, 
one of my colleagues was pregnant also. So we were both pregnant. We were like two weeks apart and she was on call and the unit I work in, and I still moonlight there. So I still do work clinically. Um, what happens is there's only one attending on um, overnight. And if there's a, if there's going to be twins born, then you call in your second attending. So she called me in because I was her second attending and we had these 24 week babies that were going to be born. Oh. And um, so we were there. Everything went great. It was a, it was like textbook resuscitation. They made it to the back to the NICU perfectly fine. And they were all situated. Babies wound up doing very well. So it's funny because, you know, you, you get, you get paid a little bit extra when you get called in. So the money that I made, I bought this really fluffy rug that I really wanted, but I wouldn't have bought it if it didn't mean anything because it was kind of just a rug. Well, I bought that rug to put in my daughter's nursery. And I almost did it as like a tribute to like, like it was for these, like I'll always remember those babies because they kind of changed me. I was 20 weeks pregnant then mm-hmm. and I could have been, I could have had my baby at 24 weeks, right? And this mom did have her baby at 24 weeks. So it was kind of like, you know, I was pregnant at the same time as this mom, this blanket was like just a memory in like my journey through life and like just the different experiences. So it was almost a tribute, I feel. And I still have that blanket and I start the rug and I still think about those babies. So it's just like, that will always stay with me. There was a lot of emotion involved in that, you know? Absolutely. And that brings up another great point that I don't think I have ever heard any information about, but it is the act of being a female physician and being pregnant and that like transformational journey, um, even of itself. Like, I feel like that was, and I've done it three times now. So I feel like each time has been, been so huge and so transformational as far as, um, we kind of know, like the big, bad, scary, ugly shit that could happen during pregnancy, during delivery, postpartum. And yet, um, somehow I just find it crazy. I was just with a colleague. She is due. She was due in 10 days. I worked with her this weekend and I just look at her and, and, and I think at the time when you're pregnant and you're practicing, like you just kind of brush it off. But now of course, like retrospectively, I'm thinking about it and I'm like, gosh, there's so much going on right then. You know, they talk about pregnancy brain, but as doctors, we don't get the chance to have pregnancy brain like everybody else does. I mean, you have to stay on it, but yet things like that do happen. And even like patient interactions, I feel like get weird or different or they mean more. Um, when you're carrying your own child and you're taking care of maybe another pregnant mom and just with all of that. And I mean, I think especially you could probably speak to that. Um, being a, a pregnant attending, taking care of these, you know, high risk deliveries and taking care of these new lives. Tell me a little bit about that transformation that you've kind of seen within yourself and your practice. Yeah. So it's really interesting. So with my first baby. Um, I was a, my last year as a neonatology fellow and I can remember like I wasn't able to really feel excited about the pregnancy because I was so worried that she yes. was going to be born or, like too early. Yes. And so I remember saying, people would say, oh my gosh, you're so excited. And I felt guilty because I I did, but I didn't. Yeah, because like you can't get excited about it because you know the horrible, terrible things that could happen. Yes, exactly. And so I was, 
I can remember being 28 weeks. And I said, when I get to 30 weeks, I'll be excited. Oh my God, I did the same thing. And so like, you know, the whole thing is that like, you know, at first there was guilt because I'm like, that is horrible. How horrible that I am not a hundred percent thrilled, excited. But then I gave myself grace and space because I realized, well, it's my training that's caused my thinking that's, you know, given me these different um, feelings because I've seen, like you said, we've seen just different things. Now with my second one, I was, I was definitely, I felt a little calmer, right? But the thing that was interesting at that point is that when I would go to do consults on a mom who came in in preterm labor and I was like clearly pregnant, that guilt came again. Like me thinking that the mom was judging me saying, well, she's still pregnant. Like she can't really talk to me. Like, but that was me generating that thought. I made that up. The mom probably just wanted to make sure like I, you know, was going to give good care to her baby. And so, you know, and maybe the mom was looking at me and being like, oh my gosh, there's a pregnant mom too. She totally understands. She's going to take really good care of my baby. So she could have been perceiving the situation in a very positive way, maybe. And I was more worried about offending her, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I had the exact same experience too when I was still doing OB and I was actually pregnant with my first and second one. And um, you do, you almost, and nobody talks about that. Nobody talks about that when you get pregnant as a doctor that um, there's going to be thoughts that come up that are going to influence your patient care if you don't check them or if you don't like step back and being like, is this my own perception or is this the patient's perception? You know, and really all that we need to do is just ask our patients. I remember one mom I was taking care of, our due dates were like two weeks apart. Mine was coming first. So I'd already teed her up to tell her, you know, I'm probably going to be on maternity leave. But, you know, I introduced her to all my, my resident partner colleagues, you know, who, who would be on the team, who would be there, you know, and even trying to do that, I still got a call. I think it was like 10 days postpartum that this patient wanted me to come in and deliver. And gosh, you know, like, yeah, there was guilt about it, but there was a little anger, like, damn it. I just had a baby 10 days ago. We talked about this. And, but, you know, after I got to see them and follow up because I was a crazy woman and I only took like five weeks off. So I got to come back while she was still, you know, doing her well baby checks really early and all of that sort of thing. And we, we kind of talked through it and it ended up being okay. And talking with her and asking her like, Hey, what was, what was the deal? And, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, but there was just no way I could come in. I was exhausted and you know, my head was not in the game at that point. Um, she said, I love you so much. I really wanted you to be here for the second one because I had delivered the first one. And that took all those feelings away because I was honest, because I just didn't swallow it down and be like, how could she be like that? But then, you know, go into those follow-up appointments and like, you know, play nice doctor that I was just really raw and open with her that I got to see really how she felt about it. And, and that resolved that, like that was no, then no longer an issue. And I went on to take care of the kids and her, um, you know, until I moved on to my, my private practice. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I'm just glad that we have this podcast to put it out there. Cause I know there has to be hundreds of thousands of other 
of us out there in the world because we're fertile. We have babies. We also practice medicine um, to say that, you know, there, there are some issues that, that we definitely kind of have to go through a transformation for. I think that's probably true too. Like when I take care of peace patients and when I can say, okay, from the doctor perspective, blah, 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 blah. And from my mother's perspective of having three kids, your baby's okay. Like when I can do that with patients, I think that, and you know, I used to think that that was not appropriate, like to, but it is so appropriate. That is what people crave. They want to know not the white coat, but the woman doctor under the white coat. Yep. It's the vulnerability sometimes that I think it takes the most confidence to actually show. Right. So admitting you're human admitting you're a person too, admitting that you're having the same struggles, you know, instead, you know, just letting down, you know, that whole idea that we have to have it all together all the time. Medically, yes, when you're taking care of the patient, but it can also be different. You, I think you can you have to show a little bit of that side of yourself, um, that a little bit of that vulnerability. And I think it, it is, it is helpful to patients sometimes. Definitely. Definitely. And I hope as we move forward in healthcare more that instead of that being like the uh, zebra, that it's actually more of the horse and that, um, I, I don't know. I just feel like maybe that would, that's maybe the secret sauce when we talk about, um, you know, patient satisfaction and all that kind of things. It's not evidently like getting them into their appointment within 60 seconds when they check in, but more so that they're like, you know, I really connect with my doctor. That's why I stay with her. You know, and I, I always, my line is, I'm not the smartest doctor, but you damn well believe that I will work hard for you. And I think that helps people to know. And I, and I, you know, we think about like malpractice and liability and just the world that we live in as far as with that. But I really find that, that if you are honest with people like that and they do know your heart, um, they seem to accept things a little bit better. Yeah, it's funny to say that. My dad is actually an author, and he wrote a book called The Malpractice Epidemic. And what he kind of came to the conclusion of is just that communication is everything. You can communicate with your patient. Like, malpractice is, you know, it it becomes less of an issue. So, again, that's a whole loaded can of worm topic. We don't have to go there. But what you just said is that, yeah, like, being able to relate to your patient and communicate with them, you know, for sure. Well, we will come back. We'll talk about that next time then, because this has been so great that you must come back. We must have more conversations about all of this. Okay. So for people who are listening, what is going to be the best ways that they connect with you or find out more about you? Tell me, tell me all the different venues that you're in right now. Yes. yes. Okay. So my website is mindbodymarriage.com. And that is the name of my company, Mind Body Marriage. My email is simply Allie A-L-I, at mindbodymarriage.com. When I take emails and all that good stuff. Um, but my website kind of says it all. And then our podcast is Resuscitate Your Marriage, Love Rx for Physicians. And we are on episode three, which we'll be posting a little bit later this week. Um, you can find it on iTunes, but you can also get it right on my website and follow along. Cause we just kind of talk a lot about what, um, 
you know, we talked about today in terms of the life coaching and just, you know, we talk a lot about transforming your marriage, um, and kind of like you as an individual to make a better marriage. And, um, that's one of the things we're really passionate about. So yeah, that's kind of what I have going on. And then I also, um, I also do some of the health directing for my friend's company, Brave Enough, Sasha Shilkut. And I will be at the Brave Enough Conference um, at the end of November, and I will be speaking there. And then I actually will be, she's having a retreat, um, Brave Enough will be having a retreat in Florida in January. It's a real intimate setting. If there are any women physicians interested, there are still three spots. Um, we opened up, it's actually, it's going to be amazing. It's in these mansions. We uh, rented two mansions. It's going to be just kind of coaching life advancement, like healing, massages, pictures, dinners, cooking classes. I'm doing some exercise classes, um, but there are still spots for that. And so you would just go to her website, which is um, becomebraveenough.com. And that's kind of what I've got going on right now. And I'm really excited about it, really excited to be here. So I'm really thankful that uh, you've made this happen for me today. So thank you so much. Yes, that's awesome. And just for the audience, I emailed Allie. And she got back to me in like 10 seconds. And so we're now new best friends because I love when people pay attention to email. So if anything resonated with you today, please drop her a line. Um, I know she would love to hear from you. And I know that the more that we can talk with each other, the more that we can have interconnectivity, the better our life, our practice, and our own pulse is definitely going to be. So thanks so much, everybody. Don't you just love this topic of transformation? I mean, we really do have it if we look back at our lives, just how transformed we have come from a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, even 15, 20 years ago, just the amazing journey of transformation through life and medicine. And what I'm going to do today is throw that question at you that I posed in the interview about what are the patient stories that you have in your own heart that you still think about um, even as time has passed? I had shared a couple and um, Dr. Ali Novowski had shared a couple as well. But I would love for you to kind of dig into those stories and see what is about it that continues to stay connected to you. How has that transformed your life? Is it something positive that you remember and and that's what keeps it or is it something more on the negative side and it almost is uh, haunting you so I would have you dig into that question and think um, you know about those people and how they have transformed you as always thank you so much for joining me today on Dr. Me First. I truly hope that it has doctored your soul first. And again, I would love to hear from you in any way, manner, shape, or form that you would. Leave a review, come and join me on the Dr. Me First Facebook page, or if you're looking for more community, check out the Dr. Me First VIP group that's going to start soon in February and see if you want a spot in there. Again, it's meeting Tuesday nights twice a month for three months 
where we work through all of our issues kind of in this open forum setting. And hey, remember to do that favor for me. Share this podcast with all of your favorite female physicians in your life because my goal is always to reach as many as possible and remind you and myself that we are not alone in medicine, that burnout and struggle is not a personal failing, that help is absolutely available, and that change is possible. I would love for you to be a guest or talk with you one-on-one. Follow the links in the show note. And thanks again for joining me. Well, that's another Dr. Me First in the bag. I'm so glad for you to join me today. And I'm so glad to have spoken with Dr. Allie Nowowski. Now, here's your call of action for today after all of this. I need more guests. If you have MD or DO behind your name and you can think of one word to have a conversation about, you qualify to be on this podcast and I would love to talk to you. So check out the show notes, get the link, get scheduled, and let's have a freaking awesome time together. Hang in there and always remember your life, your calling, your pulse matters.